How are you guys doing? Good? You guys know how to make me feel special. Um, I'm happy to be here. I'm wearing my um, Bitch Please shirt. Hillary Clinton, which I think makes sense considering what Donald Trump said today. Uh, what a piece of shit. Uh, literally, he can just die and it would be totally fine. Um, but thank you guys for coming out. I'm really excited. This is my first book. This is my first part, first stop on, my, on the West Coast. And I was really nervous. I was texting Michaela. I was like, is no one there? And she was like, it's, you'll be fine. Don't worry. So thank you guys for showing up and listening to the podcast and buying the book and being beautiful. There's lots of different shades of colors here, which makes me very happy. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really excited about You Can't Touch My Hair. This is a book that um, I thought of, uh, I came up with the, the proposal in November 2014. So it's been almost two years in the making, which I'm really kind of, it feels like my baby, even though, you know, it's not a bean and um, whatever, but it's important to me. And uh, I'm single, so I take it. Uh, <laughs> this is what I have. Um, but anyway, so I'm just kidding. It's fine. Uh, I used Plan B last week. I'm like, I'm I'm making mistakes. It's good. So <laughs> everything's fine. We hope. So, um, so this has been a very fun book to to write. That I have like some personal things in there. Um, I also talk about race and gender and pop culture stuff. But I feel like given the political climate, um, I wanted to read from my essay called "Dear Future Female President: My List of Demands." Um, I think we're all in agreement that at this point, Hillary should just be president. Um, so I, I kind of wrote uh, this essay in the hopes that she um, was going to be president. So here we go. I hope you guys like it. Um, and if you don't, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> I wish people got that on Twitter. Okay. Anyway, future female president. I know I hand you a list of my demands without properly introducing myself. It's approaching Kanye West creating the Yeezy fashion line levels of overconfidence. <laughs> Although, now that I mention it, I don't even know if he was overconfident. Sure, it's a little crazy that he apparently based Yeezy season one off the following fleeting thought. What if my clothes came only in beige number 267, a.k.a. Law & Order's iced tea skin tone, and everyone bought them? <laughs> what if? But what do you know? His clothes have sold out nationwide, so it seems he was just the right amount of confident. Well, you can rest assured, I am not Yeezy level confident right now. I'm in the presence of your grace. I'm in the presence of your greatness, and my confidence is kind of shaky, like that French guy who walked across a tightrope in that documentary, Man on Wire. <laughs> I mean, hello, you're the first female president of the United States. I would be a fool if I weren't bugging out. It's such an honor for me to be communicating with you. Oh, right, 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 right. Who am I? Okay, cool. I, my name is Phoebe Robinson. I'm a stand-up comedian, writer, actress, and I'm a huge fan of your work. I've been following you forever since BuzzFeed wrote that article about how great you are. <laughs> I've been told some of my best qualities include excellent listening skills, a master of finding the best gift to express what I'm feeling instead of actually using words, and my ability to have a stank face locked and loaded when someone acts a stone-cold fool as Steve Madden. But by far, the best thing about me is my perseverance. I'll give you an example. Remember on Grey's Anatomy when Izzy stole a heart for Denny? A heart transplant patient she fell in love with, but he died anyway? It was all very sad, but then things got redonkey-congulous because months later, she started having sex with his ghost. <laughs> Many fans of the show were like, the Lord is testing me with this storyline. I'm out. <laughs> Not I. I was like, the Lord is testing me. Well, good thing I brought my TI-83 calc and number two pencil. Let's do this. <laughs> I kept watching Grey's in spite of all the intercourse, a.k.a. ghost intercourse. <laughs> I'm not overwhelmingly proud about that level of commitment, but nevertheless, I deserve some props for sticking with this crazy plot. I mean, I stuck it out past the Izzy lighting scented candles for sex with what is essentially recycled air from her home central cooling system. I overlooked her and ghost Denny's O faces. And finally, when it was revealed that the Ginter course was actually her hallucinating due to a brain tumor, I didn't dive out of my window because I wasted several weeks on this storyline. <laughs> Instead, I watched two more seasons. 
rather than do something productive like getting my student loan payments in order, hashtag priorities. <laughs> the point is, future female president, when it came to grades, I gave it my all because I'm a ride or die chick. And more importantly, I want to be a ride or die chick for you. However, in order for that to happen, you have to take so you have to take care of a few things for me and all women. So without further ado, here are my list of demands that should be super easy to conquer. Number one, make a law that requires all the magazine writers, bloggers, and entertainment news journalists who insist on perpetuating the thigh gap obsession to be forever forced to own a brand new iPhone that doesn't fit the old charger. <laughs> forever, ever, forever, ever. That way they can't give their phones some juice and will have to live with the nightmare of their phones dying mid-text, resulting in the ellipses bubble appearing on their friend's phone screens before vanishing like, the David, like a David Blaine magic trick. Harsh, puni- harsh punishment? Probably. But it seems fitting for this thigh gap obsession they create to make women feel bad about themselves. 1A. I'm not saying thigh gap or lack thereof should never be discussed. Half the time I'm walking, I'm contemplating turning the heat from my thighs rubbing together into a mobile BYOSI. Bring your own s'mores ingredient station. (laughs) Where I charge people $5 to warm up their s'mores. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so stupid. Now that I mention it, it seems like a good idea to try and turn this into a possible business venture and with any and all the Shark Tank investors. I'm thinking we can call the company Still I Thigh. (laughs) It will only be open during Black History Month. And while customers cook their s'mores, I recite the Maya Angelou poem, Still I Rise. Hashtag black excellence. Um, I'll do one more. Number two. Right click and send to trash all the women who say they're a carry. Even, seriously, I'm fucking done with that shit. Done. Even if the woman who says this is Nobel Peace Prize winner Malala, one of the greatest activists of our time, no one is a carry. I repeat, no one is a carry. And why would anyone want to be? She kind of sucks. I mean, her entire relationship with Aiden, that was garbage. Uh, she seemingly worked about three hours a week and was, <laughs> seriously, seriously. I was like, what do you do all day? It's insane. Um, and she was surprised that she didn't have money. And, and after Mr. Big, her on-again, on off-again boyfriend, stated he's tired of New York, so he's moving to Napa Valley, she replied, when you're tired, you take a Napa. You don't move to Napa. <laughs> the goddamn puns, you guys. I'm done. <laughs> They were endless and ridiculous. So let's be real. At best, us ladies are just a bunch of Mirandas with a slightly better wardrobe. Right? Yes, thank you. And at worst, we're a bunch of Magdas. (laughs) AKA Miranda's housekeeper, which means we're a bunch of nosy bitches who raffle through people's belongings and let them know they masturbate too much. Okay. Thank you, guys. Get over here, Michaela. So much I want to talk to you about because I have read your entire book. <laughs> Thank which you is so the much. First time I've done that since high school. <laughs> uh, middle school. Um, <laughs> and I have so many thoughts, and I want to be able to like touch on so many different things. And so uh, hopefully we can do it in, in the most organic way possible. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to make a hard angle and just start asking you questions. Um, but this book is amazing. It's so funny. It's Thank so you. honest. It deals goes deep, even though it's hilarious. Even though we're talking about sex in the city. Even though we're talking about, uh, you know. <laughs> Fuck all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that it, it really, I, I, this is gonna, there's no way to say this sentence without me sounding like an idiot. But I'm okay. so, I'm just, just, I'm bearing myself to you. Okay. But um, I learned so much. <laughs> oh, really? About systemic racism, which I thought I knew, which mm-hmm. I thought like I am an empathic being and I am compassionate and I am a woman and therefore so much there's so much crossover. But when you add the extra layer of 
all the ways in which we feel repressed and and um, and belittled and put down and objectified as women, you add on another layer where it's like if you are a person of color, it is decades and decades and decades and decades and decades and decades of weight that you're also dealing with at the same time, and it just completely puts you in the seat of you and. All of a sudden, it, I, I just was filled with embarrassment that I hadn't ever looked at things from quite that angle before. So this is a book for everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Thank it's you not, so much. It's not a preach to the choir book. It's you know what I mean. It, it does in, in some ways, but it also is was really illuminating and enlightening. So not a question. Okay. Yeah. No, so, I appreciate that. Thank you. I want to hear the, the feedback. That's wonderful. That's Thank you so some much. of the feedback. But one of the things you do, you know, talk about uh, that an example is you talk about black woman right Mm -hmm. about how there's always this feeling of having to watch your temper your response your um how you're reflecting something back because you have do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah so i have this essay called the black uh angry black woman myth and i feel like this is something that every black woman can attest to where uh i think in general all women are conditioned that they have to be likable um, specifically to men but I think it's even uh, more pressing for black women and there's this sense that if you're not smiling all the time you're angry, you're militant you're all these things that are that are, that are ugly and not uh, appreciated and it, it's really hard I know um, just speaking from an experience that happened like semi recently I, so years ago this was maybe like two years into me doing stand-up comedy I was at this comedy party and um, I was on the phone with my parents this comic who's been doing stand-up for a while was there and he's making fun of me being on the phone I was like you're right you're right I'll get off the phone and then he was like okay so what's going on with your situation down there and I was like what? What are you talking about? He means like down, like he was talking about like my poop, my pubes, like am I waxed or not waxed As or whatever. As you do when you just right. go ahead and talk to somebody you don't know that. Yeah, well. yeah. And I was like, you know, um, sorry, you can't talk to me that way. We're both comics, we're colleagues. That's like not cool. And he was like, uh, does it really matter? We're not on the same level, <gasps> right? Which is very douchey. There's a lot of horrible like misogynistic things that happen. And so fast forward to like. Like five years later, I saw him recently at a show. We just both happened to be on the lineup, and I didn't know he was going to be on the show. And I walked into the green room, and I saw him. And in my head, I was like, I have to be, I have to hug him. I have to be really nice to him. Otherwise, he's going to think I'm some crazy, angry lady. And that sucks that, like, I felt like even at like 31 when this happened I still felt like I have to kind of appease someone else Mm -hmm. because God forbid he tells someone that oh Phoebe was like really bitchy backstage yeah 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 it's weird I I just had an incident this week very similarly um with you know with the gender thing where I well with the chauvinist director who there was a young gal Mm -hmm. who was uh in a bikini for the shoot and uh he he wanted to take a picture, a personal picture afterwards. What? And, uh, you know, just like, hey, let me get a picture, um, actress. Ew. And uh, she kind of said, no, I don't like the way I'm, I'm dressed. A little. Yeah. And, he, and she said, get one with Michaela. And she leaned her breasts into the back of me so that, you know, she wasn't showing. And he yeah. kind of, the, the, the disappointment on his face was so palpable <sighs> and visible. Oh, and, God. and, um, it kept me up night after night because I watched it all happen and in the moment mm-hmm. because we were on the clock I couldn't and he said muttered something like oh, surreptitious like you surreptitiously hid your breasts from my camera ew. and yeah it's ew yeah. And, and I had this thing where I was telling my husband that I I couldn't I, I couldn't believe that in that moment you know yeah. that you, I couldn't stand up and just say uh, oh I mean, I guess the only thing we have in which you address in your book is that we have the gift of making a joke about things yeah. and it sort of makes the, the information palpable but yeah. to, to everybody so that we don't get 
I don't know, told she's uptight. Yeah. Or all those things. Yeah, it's hard um, to do like in the moment and like looking back on it, I should not have said anything to him, but mm-hmm. you just it's so like hardwired in us, I well, think in a way, that it's just hard to turn that off and be like, No, this person's garbage. Like yeah. I'm not gonna But what do you mean not say anything? Because like that's the thing that I'm that's yeah. driving me crazy. Like I just I wrote so many monologues in my head that night. Yeah. All of them were amazing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah. But you know what? What do you do? You know, and, and, yeah. I, and I know you come across a couple of those instances. There's a great story in here about when you're uh, in in um, in school, and, yeah. and a woman writes a play that that was highly offensive. <laughs> yeah. So she wrote this uh, this uh, play. I was this senior thesis in college. I went to Pratt Institute, and she. I think the, the girl, if I remember correctly, she just realized that she was uh, she was coming out. She was a lesbian, which I was like, rock on, dude, that's fucking dope. And she wrote this play. It was like a slave uh, play that she wrote. She's a white girl. And uh, just to clarify, and um, normally in this class, like you, everyone, you like read the work aloud. And since I was like the only black person in the class, I was like reading the slave part. Awesome. Um, and you read. yeah, I'm so. I'm, <laughs> Oh my god, I'm gonna be Viola Davis. Um, um, so yeah, so I had to read this part, which I was already kind of like, this is not cool to be the only black person reading like a slave narrative, whatever. So she basically the the play was like this whole thing about how like love triumphs and overcomes all, and so. The slave character t- turned down her her shot at freedom to stay on um, to stay a slave because she was having a love affair with the slave master's daughter, and I was like, um, hey, <laughs> real quick, <laughs> just a suggestion, um, that would never happen, like ever. Um, I have a vagina and it's definitely not that good. <laughs> not good enough to like stay a slave. And um, you know, and it was really it put me in an awkward position because I have to be like the black representative and like no one else is like chiming in. And I was and she was just like, Well, this is this you're being narrow minded. It's about like love conquering all and I'm like, right, but it's slavery. <laughs> and um and she got like really upset and then she like started to to tear up a little bit so then I looked like the bully which was like a super like it was like a super shitty situation being because I was like there's no one who looks like me who can understand why this was so incredibly offensive to me and so yeah just the situations like that I I look back and I'm glad that I I mean obviously I don't want to make anyone cry but I am glad that I said something because I was like this is fucked up like I want to be super liberal but this is bananas what I loved so much about that passage yeah. which you laid out so beautifully in a really frank way which you do throughout this entire book mm-hmm. like it's just a no bullshit book <laughs> thank you but it's so funny like no line goes without without a joke it's just like you, you, don't, you don't know if you're coming or going in some in a great way because you're just like oh god oh god oh <laughs> oh god oh god <laughs> <laughs> Um, just, <laughs> um, and, and it is because you, you just layer in layer in all the comedy which really helps you realize the absurdity of these mm-hmm. moments but but the thing that you said that really popped out at me and kind of you know knocked me out was when you said it wasn't just I'm a people pleaser I get it okay mm-hmm. I don't want to make anybody cry if I did I, I, I also I get I feel bad taking up a stool when some people are standing you know what I mean yeah. it's just like uh, I'm sorry I exist but <laughs> but I there was that thing where you said I just made a white girl cry and and that you like you can mark time in everything you do in your life where you you know when you order a salad it's like or you order off the menu what will the white people think and you give this litany of things yeah. that, that you're self-conscious about in the back of your head and that's what I mean like it's it's one thing it's just layer after layer after layer that gets revealed and then it just really uh, you just you just lay it out in such a beautiful um, entertaining way thank you yeah um, I love you I love you um, too <laughs> 
I love it too. This is like crazy I, that I'm talking to you. I'm like, oh my God, I watch your show all the time. I'm like, whoa. Well, I said to you, I said, you know, this book, I just feel like it just gives me so much hope. You know, a young woman writing this book, which is just has all these really, you know, evolved, takes a really evolved, strong, honest look at, at, at the layout of our world and, and our country and the way things sort of are. And it gives me so much hope for the future. And I feel like I can say that because even though because I'm because even though you keep saying you're old as shit in in your book, yeah. <laughs> I'm like over a decade older than you, so I can say this with some authority that I feel hope that the young people, <laughs> yay, <laughs> awesome, that this is what we're talking about, you know, it, and it, it just feels like all of it just feels like oh duh. But that said, when I was your age, this was not the this was not the conversation. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't. Yeah. So. Um, what else? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, I do think it's like, I think, um, I, th- I feel like every woman who's a feminist, you kind of have this evolution that happens like in your late 20s where you really solidify how you feel about things and how, if you're going to be outspoken about stuff. And I really do feel like when I started doing stand-up, I think right before I turned 24, that really helped me kind of find my voice and really figure out that like I, I care about a lot of issues and not just like only pop culture stuff. And I think it's, I think with the book, part of the reason why I wanted to write is because I feel like a lot of times, especially on the subject matter of like race, it's usually just white men talking to black men. Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, the female perspective is left out. I feel like the gay perspective is left out. And for me, I just wanted to provide like hey here's what a, a woman thinks about what's going on and uh, who cares yeah <laughs> um, right not, yeah not but that's how it is if it's I so- wanted to talk to a woman I'd <laughs> yeah um, I don't know I just can't I'm so obsessed by what happened today this I know whole Trump thing. can we talk about that for yeah can let's we do it like two minutes yeah, let's do it because we'll get it's back insane to the book because it's I insane. do feel like they they do go together in the sense that like we never want to be the trouble starter we mm-hmm. never want to be the shit starter and I watched this woman from days of our lives forgive me for not remembering her name um, I didn't know it until I saw it today but you know when when he pimped everybody saw the video I'm assuming when he pimp when Billy Bush pimps her coming off the bus and says, aren't you going to give him a hug, you know, after this whole moment? Well. And she, right? <laughs> and then she she does, you know, and then he's like, my, my turn. And you're just going, this feels like, you know, the preamble to bad, bad things at an after-school special. And then... And then he says, which one do you like better? And she's forced into this position to say, I like you both equally. And it's this sort of flirty thing. And, and somebody could say, well, she was into it. No. She, there was a camera in her face. Yeah. And she was in this position where she was like, with these two men, what is she going to do? What if she said, what, is there a scenario where she would just say, actually, I find you both repugnant, you know, yeah. and I don't really like either of you. Yeah. So sets this way. Yeah. Yeah. Never. It's it, horrifying. Yeah. And it's also like this thing where I, it's just like, there's just example after example of Trump being so sexist that I'm just like. I'm like this whole country must really hate women on a level because it's so insane that someone could be this ignorant Mm -hmm. and be this close to the presidency because there's no way a woman could behave even like one tenth (laughs) as stupidly as him like not prepare for a debate like Mm -hmm. fucking have a ridiculous (laughs) spray tan like just you could not you couldn't do it and so it's just so shocking that I'm like we're in we're in we're living in a country in which like there are just a lot of angry white dudes who are very upset that the country is evolving towards greatness finally for the first time ever I feel like mm-hmm. and this is why Trump is is in power and it's just you know? so weird because like you'd think if they were getting as much pussy and I'm going to use because it's their word yeah um, <laughs> as um, well it's our word yeah but we'll take it back at some point but um, <laughs> but, um, but you know it's sort of like it reminds me of like when people I mean they're just like yeah I'm getting it and he's like I'm getting it too let's talk about it because we're getting it we're getting it so much that we have to talk about it's like I think about you know when people say like I saw Ricky Lake uh," and it's just like well you're not used to seeing celebrities if you're gonna you know I'm not gonna say I saw Ricky Lake because you know it's just like we work in this business we're gonna see I just don't understand I can't get my mind around somebody's like yeah I get a lot of I get a lot of pussy Um, and to another guy it's like yeah me too I get it I get so much much of it I'm drowning in it Um, 
Anyway, back to your book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite lines actually in here is when you talk about um, being totally dismissed at a Michael's. And mm-hmm. this. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, do something amazing like frame your New York Times article. Yeah. And they're not, and nobody's taking you. You're standing there, there's yeah. nobody in line. And then <laughs> you said that a guy that looks like Justin Thoreau comes up and that the, yeah. the, the plain Jane lady behind yeah. the counter tripped over her ovulation calendar. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, he, this guy was hot, but I've never seen anyone move this fast. I'm like, I've been standing here the whole time. So it's just stuff like that where I'm like, you know, it's a lot of like microaggressions that I think that a lot of women and people of color go through um, every day. Because I, I, I get the sense that a lot of times, I'm going to just generalize and say, sis, straight white dudes think that like racism happens one time in your life and that's it and it's like no it's literally every day it's every day it's It's like I get followed around stores I know that I have to dress a certain way in order to not get followed around stores it's like you know when I used to have dreadlocks I got treated differently than I do when I have my hair straight like this. So it's all these things that I am, you know, processing every day. And even something like how Band-Aids are only in your skin tone. And, like, uh, yeah. putting that on and putting that, like, this is the standard color. Like, that, that just reinforcement every single day of your life that you're not the default. I think a lot of people don't realize how, like, you know. One of the things that made me go, oh, fuck this, is um, just... You know, I bitch and complain so much about the time spent just being a woman, mm-hmm. and then you walk us through like what a day of of hair care is, and you're just like, this is how they keep us down. This is how they keep women down. Yeah. It's like because how are you supposed to you know write that manifesto if you know you so much of your weekend is going to be spent just making your hair a certain way because you know that yeah. you're going to be treated a different way if your hair is a certain way. Yeah, and it's one of these things where you have like, um, I remember during Fashion Week and Mark Jacobs got dinged for having all white models with dreadlocks and high. He was like, get over it. I don't see color. And it's like, you specifically saw white people in order to make that decision. To have 12 white models, that's not an accident. That's not... <laughs> Like, I've never been like, I accidentally had 12 Oreos. I don't know how I did it. (laughs) This is how I did it. Um, It's very simple. And so to me, when it was like, this is so cool that they have dreadlocks. And like, I had dreadlocks for five years. And then there's the the federal ruling now that it's okay to not hire someone if they have dreadlocks. It's like, yeah, I think it was like two or three weeks ago. It's it's very coded. And they're basically saying if a black person has dreadlocks. Mm -hmm. So it's very upsetting to me where it's like that's my that's my hair that's my hair and like there's nothing wrong with my hair and there's nothing wrong if I want to straighten it if I want to have it natural if I want to have it afro and for me I felt like I don't know about the other black women here but I really felt like I had I've been on like a lifelong journey of accepting my hair Mm -hmm. and learning to have pleasure in it because there's so much of like oh there's good hair there's not good hair my hair is very tightly cold I have it like this because I'm doing a tv shoot no braggies uh (laughs) but normally it's like a Frederick Douglass kind of like afro (laughs) in my everyday life but it's like so my my curls are tight and that's like not quote-unquote good hair and there's like all this like like you just have to uncondition yourself from all this kind of like self hatred and also this notion that if you do wear your hair straight that means you don't love yourself which I think is like really shitty because it's like black women should be allowed to wear their hair however they want Mm -hmm. and that should just be fine and thank you (laughs) um and it's it's really hard because it's like no matter how you do your hair, everyone has an opinion about it. So for me, I've, I'm now 32. It's really been like me going on a journey of taking back black hair and really enjoying it and changing my hairstyles all the time is really a way for me to have fun with it and be like, I own my hair. I own who I am. Like you can't decide what kind of person I am, whether I have dreads or fro, bald or whatever. Like I, I make the choice. And so I feel like with the book, I just wanted to kind of chart that 
because I feel like a lot of black women feel that way and hadn't really been talked about. And like, I love the documentary Good Hair, but again, that's from a perspective of a dude, and I really wanted like a black female perspective about hair, because that's what matters. You do it great. It's like, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, You do it. There's like this great moment, you know, very early on the book where you go, oh, this is a woman who found self-love, you know, and nobody can take that. And so that's that's the basis of what you're starting from, a healthy individual. Now, question, mm-hmm. how you said you were doing stand-up when you were 24. Mm-hmm. Can you t- walk us through a little bit of how you got to a point, you're writing a book, you're doing all these things, like fill in some of the blanks. So, Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, so I started out in New York and I was just, I took a class at Caroline's, um, which ended up being like a lot of fun. I'd never really wanted to do stand-up like my whole thing was to work in film and write serious movies like I was like I'm gonna write my American beauty (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna write about a floating trash bag in the wind it's gonna be really cool I hope you do yeah me too And so I've been working in film and I wasn't really loving it. I was like, oh, I don't think I actually want to do this. And a friend of mine, Lindsay, um, she had always wanted to do stand up and she asked me to do it with her. And I said, I don't know, stand up's kind of dumb, never really been into it. Um, But then I took the class and I fell in love with it instantly. And I was like, oh, I can just stand up and make strangers laugh about whatever silly stuff comes out of my mouth. This is like really cool and powerful and great. And so I just started doing like a lot of stand up and I was just doing a lot of shows for free or for like a couple of beers. And like I would go to Staten Island and like then haul, like take a ferry back to the city at like two in the morning, just a lot of grinding it out. And so in 2012, I started my blog, Blaria, Black Daria, uh, because I just miss writing just for the fun of writing. so much was like stand up and like getting your jokes and like trying to get late uh, late night and I was like I just want to write just to write like that's why I went to college <laughs> and so um I had a lot of fun doing the blog and then two years later my current lit agent Robert just emailed me and said hey you probably already are working on a book but if you're not I would love to meet with you and that's it <laughs> was probably already working yeah. nobody ever says that to me <laughs> <laughs> Which is like very much. You're probably working on a pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for taking my call. (laughs) But it was like a very like wild email. I'm like so into like Oprah, and I'm like I manifested this. But I really, you know what I mean? Like, I really felt that way because I was writing every day and I was like, this, I want to write a book and I would just tell everyone I know that I'm going to write a book one day, you know, and like... Well, I would do that part. Yeah. I would tell everybody I knew that I was writing a book. Yeah. But and it, would, it, would never, it would never materialize. But it also feels like, you know, everyone says they're going to write a book. So I just like kind of forgot about it. Then when I got this email, I really thought about what I wanted to put into a book and like... Like, from the stuff that I was reading, like, obviously, I like pop culture, like Sex and the City, but I also wanted to have some substance to it, so um, that's really how the book came about, and it took me, like, 13 months to write, and it was a lot of fun. I only had one meltdown where I cried. Really? Well, yeah. Well, take it, walk us through that. <laughs> <laughs> This is a bookstore. Yeah. Everybody needs to know there's the dark night of the soul. Yeah, because writing is... Has anyone written a book here? Nice. It's it's hard, right? It's so hard because you're literally... you're In every movie, it's just like... Doop, doop, doop. I'm going to eat... Three a, hours a week, work week. Yeah, like I'm just going to eat a muffin, take one bite, and here's 20 pages. And it's like, no, that's like not what happens at all. And so I turned the first draft and... Because I, I when, when I quit my day job in 2013, I was freelancing, so it was a lot of like writing TV recaps for like 150 bucks, which is like shit money because I live in New York and I want to like have electricity. So I was just really like wor- like having seven jobs in order to like f- pay my rent, and I had three weeks to do like my first revision of the entire book, which was like not enough time, but we're on a time crunch, and it was like. 
two in the morning and I couldn't figure out, I was like, I just read like Shonda Rhimes' book, Year of Yes, I've been saying yes to everything and this paragraph is really hard. And it was like two in the morning and I was like, I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, it's due in a week. And I just like started sobbing all over my computer and I emailed my my editor and I was like, I hate this book. Why did you make me do this? Like I was just really just like, I need to get it out because it's, it's hard. You're just like by yourself. Like you have to get it done. Did it feel like the next day? Did it feel like a breakthrough? It did. Like I was like, I'm okay. I'm crying. Mm-hmm. It's two in the morning. There's infomercials on. I'm just gonna walk away from the computer, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna take a nap. Mm-hmm. And I woke up the next day, and I was like, All right, it's fine. I cried. Mm-hmm. Now I'll get to work. Yeah. So it, it really felt good after that cry. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, Q and A time. Oh no! That's what that means. I could. We could talk for like hours. Yeah. When the lady in the glitter shirt says, <laughs> "Time for Q and A." Uh, anybody got a question? Right over here. Um, did any of the notes that you got from writing the book, like from the editor, did that change how you wrote for television or like consulting or like change your stand up? I'm going to repeat it only because they're recording. So uh, I just want to make sure. We, we <laughs> did any of the notes that you got from the editor change how you wrote for television or, or stand up? Um, yeah, I would say writing this book has definitely made me a much better writer. I think I was always good, but this just having to, this is like 200 something pages. So it really just forced me to like learn how to just make cuts. If things weren't funny, like not give a shit. I was just like, whatever this joke is funny. It doesn't belong. So I really, I really just trusted my voice a lot through the course of it and I think like especially doing stand up and me just trying out jokes I, I will always in the past be a little bit like oh sorry I wrote this joke you guys have to hear it right now <laughs> and now I'm just like fuck it here's a joke <laughs> yeah I'm going to turn your phone over only because oh, it's blowing up. Oh, sorry. So good news. But I'm so programmed by phones that every time I see it, I'm like, it's a surprise. No. <laughs> so, uh, so anybody else have a question? Just one question. Oh, anybody. Oh, oh. hi, Rose. Um, I have a question. Uh, did you read any books or anything to prepare for writing the books? Or, like, did your editor suggest, hey, check this out? Or Yeah, I, I read What was a, the preparation? Did you read any books? Did the editor recommend anything to read? Yeah, I, because I've always been a fan of essay collections, so I read Shonda Rhimes's, uh Year of Yes, which I think is an amazing, just I was like, yeah, I need to say yes more, which has been great. Uh, and Roxy and Gay, um, I'm obs- I think Mindy Kaling is like one of my favorite writers of all time. Um, and I read, I was like, I want to be like, because when I first started working on the book, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself because I was like, there's like Ta-Nehisi Coates and like all these scholarly black people. And I'm like, I'm like, this is like for literally like Sojourner Truth. Like this book has to, you know what I mean? I was like, third good Marshall with like what? And I was just like, it's like, dude, I'm talking about how I think Michael Fassbender is hot. Like it's fine. Like the stakes are not quite that high. So I think there was a, I wanted to read some like heavier books and I think that kind of made me feel, I don't know, I think I ultimately wanted to, the the essay collections that I love the most, I felt like the writers wrote the way that they speak, Mm -hmm. but slightly elevated because it's writing. And so for me, I wanted to capture my voice, but then have it be me. Like, I don't want to sound like I have three PhDs and be very dry. Like, I want you to feel like you're hanging out with a girlfriend for an afternoon and we're just having a glass of rosé and we're going to talk about race and it's going to be tense for a little bit. And that's all we have the rosé. And then everything's going to be fine. It was. It's yeah. Totally. Yeah. Just like that. I'm like, yeah, you're the boss of our friendship. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> How did you narrow down which stories to include for this particular collection? And were there any stories that you wanted to include? Yeah, how'd you narrow it down your stories that you wanted in the collection and how did you edit out the things how'd you kill your babies when yeah. you wanted? <laughs> um, well when I sold the book I was in a relation. I was with my boyfriend for like four years and then maybe like three and a half months into writing it we broke up. Uh, and I was gonna write something about him, obviously, in relationships and I just was like 
I don't know. I just feel like he's not in my life anymore. So I just wanted to honor the relationship that we have because I loved him very much. And even though I was ultimately like, yeah, we, we grew apart. This isn't working anymore. Like he's such a wonderful person that even, I don't know. I just didn't want to like make money off the breakup that just so recently happened. So I just didn't write about that. And I wanted to write about police brutality, but I just couldn't. I think I would have just needed more time to to really think it through because so often when I think about it, I just kind of go numb. Like, it's just really hard for me to, like, even come up with words and really express what I'm feeling because it's just so devastating. And I was like, yeah, I just don't think I can do it service right now. So maybe in the next book I would like to. But this one I was just like, I, I just wasn't emotionally and mentally prepared to go down that path. This book felt like a great primer to even go into that, if I may. Because, oh, thanks. Yeah, because because like you said, it it, it it's beyond. Yeah. Know? And and this this book you you mentioned you know you mentioned, but it's just sort of like, but you know, let's lay down some groundwork here. Yeah. And ground rules. Any other cues in the back? You mentioned all your hair phases that you go through. How did you come to the decision of the photo on the cover with all your hair hair choices? Oh well, I choices. Yeah, you you would say in your book. Um, I just wanted to have. I I told my editor I was like, I know this is gonna sound gross, but I really think we have to like Phil Collins the cover and just needs to be my face. Because I feel like people never know what authors look like. And I'm like, what's the point of me writing a book if people aren't going to know that I wrote it? It's like, God, I'm so branding. It's so stupid. Um, What's the point of doing anything? Right? (laughs) And so they were like, yeah, we were thinking the same thing. And um, I just wanted to have a big fro. But my hair is really fragile. So I can't dye it because it will just literally die and fall out. So I was like, let's just do a fun Afro wig. So I found this wig in some just random ass store that was like 40, bu- it was like 40 bucks and I had this lady like come in and cut and shape it. It was like Edward Scissor's hand- scissor hands and she like fucking killed it. I put it on and then uh, we took this photo and then I, I went home and ate, ate some smart food popcorn and watched Mad Men. It was great. It was a great day. <laughs> so yeah, I just want something attention grabbing because I did um, New York Comic Con yesterday I had to sign some books which I was like I don't know why you guys want me here because you know <laughs> look at me and it was just really funny to see like all the, the guys coming the white guys come up to the Strand booth and then be, see the cover and then immediately change direction because they got scared and I was like cool <laughs> <laughs> this is cool I love this <laughs> any other cue yeah who's your dream guest star on your podcast Who's your dream guest star in your company? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to answer for you. Oh my, Michael Fassbender. I mean, Michael Fassbender, of course. We <laughs> would smash. Um, <laughs> but um, I think there's so many. I'm going to try and narrow it down to three. Number one, Oprah, obviously. <laughs> Oprah is everything. My goal is to be on Super Soul Sunday. <laughs> I like, just want to wear a matching sweater set and sit in her backyard. I, <laughs> It's like heaven. Um, number two would be um, Ava DuVernay because I just think she is such a badass director and I'm very curious about um, directing. I think eventually that's something I would like to do would be to, to write and direct indie movies because I, I like performing but I think I will at a certain point want to not be in front of the camera all the time. And then number three... Um, I just think Larry King would be so funny. Because I feel like he will only understand 33% of what I say. And it would be hysterical. So, fingers crossed. <laughs> there is. It's, a, it's, um, it's really funny because I read the book, but then I went back and I, on the Audible version, I listened to your introduction. Oh, you did? Yeah. Because I was just worried that I wouldn't have time to, to get through it. But then I went and listened to the to the intro, and I thought, oh, this is like such a good way into the book, because it's like Shakespeare, where your ear has to adapt a yeah. little bit. <laughs> where you're like, um, what's the bomb.com? Okay. Wait, okay. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> But then I got it, and now it's, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> Where's glitters? Oh. Okay. 
good. We're okay. Okay. Any other questions? Um, so when you're writing about microaggressions, I'm curious how you balance the humor and the pain of the experience. That's a great question. It's a big, big thing, like you said. So I was just curious how you How do you balance the microaggressions on a day-to-day? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I think for, when writing about those, because I come from the space of comedy, I'm always looking for where the joke can be, and then I try and work my way back. But there are definitely um, moments where I'd be like, oh, I've been writing for two pages, and this isn't funny. And then I go back and like pepper in jokes. But I think I was very conscious of not... Um, of not just being like everything's going to be funny right now and just like floating above the the conversation i think it's a very delicate balance because you want to be respectful to it but you also want to not you don't want the the reader to feel bummed out um so i wanted to be genuine and funny at the same time so i you know it, there's a lot of revision and going back and forth and should i keep this joke in should i add more jokes so i think just going through and also having the distance um, helps because I think when something super shitty happens in the moment, you're just like, <laughs> you know, you're like so mad that you like want to punch everything, and like that could be funny, but it can also just be like just word vomit. But if something bad happens like a year ago, you can kind of look back at it and be like, oh, okay, that was kind of funny. I think that's what all because you're a funny person. Yeah. Like you, we always try to look for like something horrible just happened. Yeah, it was also kind of. How funny. do I pretend it didn't happen? Yeah, right. Um. <laughs> I'll make a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just listening to this woman. Uh, she's a lawmaker in Ohio, Nina, Nina Turner, um, uh, African-American woman. And she was saying that if you're half conscious in America, you are mad. Like you are mad 100% of the time because that's what it is to be black in America. And so to say that there isn't systemic racism is bullshit. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, because I had just finished reading your book today, I, you know, it was just so strong and resonated so much. And I just, I mean, it's how, I, it, that's Twitter. Um, but <laughs> but it, it's, it's just amazing how when you do go through this book, if, I almost wanted to play a game where you guys yell at a page, you read a paragraph in it, and we count the jokes in that paragraph because it's like everything hits so hard, but it's so funny. And and the balance is quite amazing. I mean, it's you have such a specific voice, and um, and I don't know how you wrote this book because you have so many pop culture references I that I don't know how you did anything except watch TNC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? One more? Over here. Okay, I like your earrings. <laughs> I love your podcast as so many white guys. Thank you. If you got any heat or any um, anyone mad in the industry over the title without even them like listening to the podcast. It's amazing. But I just want to know the negative feedback that you got and if the second season is coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> There's a woman with beautiful earrings that would like to focus on the negative feedback. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so many white guys. Podcast. Yeah, I so WNYC. Um, so, uh, are you guys familiar with the podcast? I don't want to. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Um, so yeah, so maybe one week before the po- the podcast premiere, WNYC put a trailer on iTunes, and uh, I think it was like the week of like Fourth of July. So I was like off the internet. I was like, I'm just gonna hang out with my family. Like whenever I go home, I just want to be a person and not work. And then I saw that they posted the trailer online. I'm like, oh, this is really exciting. I'll go over to iTunes. And there were just, like, all these comments. Like, all these guys were voting it down so, like, it wouldn't appear, um, like, wouldn't be uh, appear in, like, the searches. And yeah. giving it, like, one star and saying that I'm trash and that I'm racist, that I'm stupid, that this was, like, um, uh, like a minority hire thing and like oh they gave it because you're like a girl and like if you were funny then like you wouldn't notice all this stuff and I'm, it was really it was like 200 comments and I got so sad and like I was bummed out because that was like the same day that I found out there was like this faction of male comics in New York who think I'm a cunt uh, because I like don't hang out and party with them. So like they were just talking shit about me and I found out about it and I was like... That's fair. That's fair. That's so fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
And so it was just like, why does every man hate me? Like all this was happening like a span of a couple of hours. And what was great was WNYC saw this and they like literally, they sent the trailer to everyone. They're like, if you like this trailer, you go on iTunes and you write like a great comment and you vote it up. And like, they really like have my back and like, it turned out great, but they're definitely, I think... I think some white dudes got mad because it's like I'm making fun of the system in which, you know, we are not. How the, dare you? I know. <laughs> yeah, we're not the. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? But it's like we're not the norm, and especially in podcasting, it's like 90% male oriented. So I was just trying to flip the numbers, and I notice a lot of times when. People like uh, Alana Glazer is one of the guests on the show. They'd be like, so you run your own show and you're a woman. What does that feel like? (laughs) And she's like, I don't know. Like, I've been a woman my whole life. I don't know what the fuck you want me to say. (laughs) But there's like all these, I noticed with all these interviews, like, people say like, so you're gay. What is that? And it's just like... You know what I mean? It just felt like they immediately went to making the other person the other, and they just stuck them in that box as if they're not multidimensional. There aren't other facets to them. So with the show, I just wanted to celebrate all the things that are amazing about these people. And I think some white guys got mad because the podcast wasn't about them. And I'm oh like, but God. there's Mark Marin, and he talks about eating ice cream for 20 minutes and it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. There's an outlet for you. It's okay. So I love you, Mark Marin, if you're listening to this. He's not. Uh, <laughs> He would never listen to me. It's fine. Um, but I, I, I just wanted there to be counter-programming. And I wanted to celebrate women and people of color and people from the LGBTQ plus community without just saying you're only a woman or you're only Latina. And that's the only thing that's valid about you. See, that is what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, that's why I have hope for the future. Uh-huh. Oh, wait, can we do, like, a little video for social media? I know what that is. Yeah. (laughs) We'll just take a... Because I want to... This is my first book tour, and this has, like, been very... Thank you. This has just been really special to me because, you know, you work on a book I, from beginning and it's been two years and you like, you don't know how people are going to feel about it, if anyone's going to give a shit. And, you know, so far, every, like people have been showing up and it's, it makes me feel like, oh, my voice is heard. So I just want to thank you guys. I just want to like capture this moment and just like yell, scream or whatever and I'll say something and then we'll all just like, okay, great. I'm not a director. <laughs> I'm so scared. Okay. Wait. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.